Hi, this is Bill Woods, and I wanted to come and bring my weekly offering to you today. I know that Easter and Good Friday are over, but there's still something I wanted to talk about today that I was reminded about this week. I uh, want to talk about Gamblers at the Cross. On Monday, April 12, 2021, that was this last Monday, both chambers of the Arizona legislature passed bills that would legalize sports betting in Arizona. On Thursday, April 15th, Governor Doug Ducey signed the bill to allow sports betting to become legal in Arizona. During the event, Ducey also signed a new gaming or gambling compact agreement with the tribal nations, which the governor and the tribes called a historic agreement. The Diamondbacks, the Suns, Cardinals, and Coyotes will all have licenses to operate on-site sports betting at their arenas. The Phoenix Open and the NASCAR will also have sports betting available at tribal casinos. You know, we're not talking about tens of millions of dollars. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, according to State Representative Jeff Weniger of Chandler, uh, District 17. Arizona joins 25 other states and Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico in legalizing sports wagering. The United States Supreme Court allowed state lawmakers to decide whether or not it would be legal in their specific states. The federal government and the Bureau of Indian Affairs still need to sign off on the bill, but it's thought that that's just a formality. The whole process could take as little as 90 days to be completed. The Phoenix Suns announced Thursday that they have partnered with the sports betting app called FanDuel, which will have a luxury sports book retail location inside the Suns arena. Legalizing sports betting will forever change the sports and entertainment landscapes in Arizona, and I feel this opens a Pandora's box for crime and all kinds of corruption. I mean, we already have big problems with the cartel down at the border, smuggling people across, bringing drugs in and all. This will just open other avenues for them to operate. Today, the state of Arizona and the Bureau of Indian Affairs are pleased with their decision to open sports gambling statewide. Their thought is it's going to bring so much more revenue into our coffers. We'll be able to do so much more good with the revenue that we have. I think the day will come when they'll question if that was a great decision after all. Speaking of gambling, caused my mind to race back to the biggest gamble to have ever happened in history. The gambling that was done at Golgotha 2,000 years ago. I realized, like I said when I started, that Easter is over and most pastors have moved on to other topics, but I want to explore this topic to the, of the crucifixion at least one more time before I move on to other things. The crucifixion is the darkest moment in the history of the world. This was the day that mankind nailed God to an old rugged cross. God sent his son to save Adam's descendants from the penalty of sin. Man rejected God's son and murdered him on the cross. Crucifixion was grisly enough with all the shame, pain, bloodshed, and terror involved, but man was turning his back on God's love. 
You know, it's strange in the gravity of such gruesome situation that Jesus on the cross, these other two thieves on the cross, pouring their life's blood out, that anyone could be so calloused and unfeeling as to sit and gamble at the foot of the cross. But that's exactly what happened. Matthew 27, 35 says, Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. What a horrible commentary on society. So hardened that there's little compassion left. These men gambled as if nothing else mattered. However, they weren't the only gamblers at the cross that day. You look through the crowd, many were engrossed in this morbid scene, people with much at stake in this bloody drama of terror. The Jewish religious leaders were taking a gamble that day. Annas, Caiaphas, all the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, they hated Jesus. He was destroying their comfortable religious system that they that had served them so well. The Pharisees and Sadducees had never gotten along. They disputed religion, politics, theology, every issue you could think of. The main difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees was their differing opinions on the supernatural aspects of religion. The Pharisees believed in the supernatural. They believed in angels, demons, heaven, hell, and the afterlife, and so on, while the Sadducees did not. Someone said that's why they were so sad, you see. There was no love lost between the two factions. Now they were suddenly united in their common hatred of Jesus. He had to go. He was causing too much problem. You know, it's odd how common hatred can bring former enemies together. There were two old ladies in Grand Coulee when we were pastoring there who couldn't stand each other and were always at each other's throat. They were gossiping about each other. They were saying things to try to defame one another. One day, they discovered that neither of them could stand me, and somehow this common hatred of the young preacher brought them together. They were demonstrating the Islamic teaching of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The brain, you know, they, they began to communicate and began to quit picking on each other and started uh, rumors about me. You know, the brains of the Let's Murder Jesus movement were the priests. They found allies in the Pharisees who eagerly threw their influence with those who wanted to crucify Jesus. The Pharisees lit the fire under the mob's emotion, causing them to boil forth with a cry, crucify him, crucify him. You know, this was really strange because just the, the Sunday before, they had been uh, trying to crown Jesus as their king and all. They were going through the streets on Palm Sunday, waving palms and putting their clothing down before him and worshiping him. Now they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. What a fickle crowd. The Pharisees hurled arguments at Jesus while the mob howled for his destruction. There was a herd mentality. People weren't interested in what was right or wrong that day. People ran on raw emotion with no thought or facts to back their actions. They didn't need a reason to cry for the blood of Jesus Christ. They were controlled by emotions that blazed into fury. 
We see that today. People following the herd, not caring what's right or wrong, just caught up in what everybody else is doing. For instance, the uh, Black Lives Matter protests that are actually riots that are happening in Seattle and Portland and, and other places around around our nation. These people are, are being staged to follow and demonstrate over police brutality. And many of them don't even know what they're, they're rioting about. Coca-Cola used to have a slogan, 10 million people can't be wrong. Well, let me tell you, they can be if they're on the wrong path. The majority of the world's population is going to hell. Read in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The Jewish leaders didn't want Jesus upsetting their system, and, and they gambled that day that they could get rid of him so that they could continue their worship of self and selfish ambitions. You know, people gamble today. They know that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they their plans seem to be more important right now than, than following the Lord. If they can silence Jesus, he won't bother them so much. The Jews gambled they could reject and destroy Jesus, but the Jewish leaders lost their gamble and the stakes were high. Everyone who gambles on pushing Jesus away and remaining selfish and sinful will lose. Will lose. And you know, I think one of the definitions of sin is sin is selfishness. It's putting myself ahead of Jesus. It's putting myself ahead of everything else. Sin is selfishness. The stakes are, are just as high today as they were back then. Mark 8.36 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Well, there was another gambler. Pilate was gambling. He had a lot at stake too. He gambled that he was in control of the, the province where he was. Funny, things were more critical, more crucial than he first thought they would be. I mean, he saw Jesus, and Jesus didn't seem like someone who'd worked the crowd into this frenzy. He seemed quiet, not at all a troublemaker. Jesus had no money. He was homeless. His followers were fishermen and tax collectors, very simple men. They didn't seem to be a threat to anybody, and especially they didn't seem to be a threat to Rome. Why were these Jewish leaders so bent on killing Jesus? He, he felt Jesus' calmness, even while Jesus was standing before him. And he said, don't you know that I have the power to turn you loose? Jesus said, you don't have any power but what has been given to you. He heard the mob outside. He felt they were about to riot. He didn't know what to do. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He should have taken a stand and said, no, this man is innocent. We're not going to go ahead with this. But he tried to avoid the issue by sending Jesus over to Herod. Herod had mocked Jesus for a little while, then sent him back to Pilate. Pilate's wife had a dream about Jesus and sent word to Pilate to have nothing to do with this man. Pilate compromised and had Jesus flogged, hoping that this would satisfy the bloodlust of the mob. But that wasn't enough. The mob were demanding crucifixion. 
Finally, because he didn't know what to do and he feared the crowd, Pilate sent for a basin of water. In Matthew 27, 24, it says, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. The Jews answered in Matthew 27, 25. Uh, it says, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. In one bold stroke, they call the wrath of vengeance down on themselves and their children. That was the cry which wrote the bloody history for the Jews throughout the centuries. That cry stained, stained the Jewish path through hundreds of years with blood and destruction. It started out destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. The Jews were dispersed around the world. There was the Spanish Inquisition in 1478 to 1834 when up to 130,000 people were tortured and executed. Nazi Germany, 1933 to 1945, over 6 million people, Jewish people perished. And there were different things throughout history. These are just the highlights I remember. The Jews have paid dearly as a result of that horrible cry for Christ's blood. Now, I'm not anti-Semitic, but I see these people got what they asked for. Now, I want to say to parents and grandparents how careful you need to be for your children's sake. You need to take care to make sure that you're training your children up the way they need to go and you're not doing something that's going to bring judgment down upon your family. Pilate thought that he had sidestepped Jesus Christ. Pilate could not sidestep Jesus, and neither can you. You know, a lot of times people have told me, well, I just, uh, I, I'm not against Jesus. I'm not taking a stand for him. I'm trying to take the middle ground. That does not work. Either you are for him or you are against him. You need to make the decision because you will have to face that decision in eternity. Judas wasn't serving God. He was uh, uh, a gambler here. He, he played a gamble. He, he had been with Jesus from the beginning uh, of, his, of Jesus' public ministry. That was three years. He had followed, but the, somehow or other he had plans and aspirations about who Jesus was and what Jesus could do for him. He had misunderstood and thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and he wanted to be a part of it. Maybe he wanted to be prime minister or something. Judas had gotten greedy and critical. He wasn't serving God. He was just serving self. He was just hanging along because he thought he might be able to benefit from being with Jesus. It's like people today who whine, well, the church just isn't meeting my needs. Well, you know, that's not the church's purpose. We're to meet God's needs. When, when, when we meet God's needs, then God will meet our needs. Judas could have met Christ's needs by being faithful and obedient, but he didn't grasp the truth that God's ways are best ways. And so because he wasn't getting his own way, things weren't working out like he wanted them to be. He decided he was going to betray Christ and, and he betrayed innocent blood. He couldn't stand the guilt after he'd seen what he had done. 
And so the Bible says he took the 30 pieces of silver that he'd bargained for, took it back to the temple, tried to give it back. They said that money is nothing to us. He threw it on the temple floor, ran out and hung himself. Judas gambled and lost. Remember, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Well, there were other men on the crosses next to Jesus, thieves who who were who were gambling. Uh, they were dying beside the Lord that day. In Luke 23, 39 through 43, then one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come to into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus invited both these men into his kingdom. One thief gambled that Jesus was who he said he was and accepted the invitation. That was the best decision of his life. Like most dying men, this thief prayed. He reached the place where even in his unbelief he called for redemption from the curse of hanging on the cross. The other thief railed and cursed at Jesus, echoing the mocking mob that were down there throwing insults and blasphemies at Jesus. Like men in, in tragedies of sea, storms, avalanches, or other sudden accidents, he called for help, which could only come from God. But look at his prayer. It was selfish. It was packed with doubt. Luke 23, 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. No repentance, no godly sorrow, no sign of change in his attitude. He filled his voice with the railing accusations of the mockeries being hurled at Jesus. Listen, God does not listen to prayers like that. He, this man wasn't sincere about turning to God. He was just desperate to get relief. His voice dripped with doubt as he, he yelled, If thou be. He heard the crowd and gambled that they were right. This dying man couldn't help him. So close. I mean, he could have reached out like the other man did and, and been redeemed, but he gambled with the majority and he missed the sure thing. He should have listened to the man on the other cross. He'd be in paradise with Jesus instead of eternally damned to hell. There were other gamblers there too. I mean, there was John and Mary. They chanced being arrested. It, it might even mean their lives, but they, they loved Jesus Christ so much that they wouldn't desert him in this time of need. They were willing to stand and be counted for Christ. That should be where we are today, too, in our lives. No matter what kind of things are going on, we ought to be willing to stand for Jesus. I know there is persecution among Christians, but I know this. Whatever you have to face is going to be minor when you finally see Jesus Christ face to face. Peter was afraid. He didn't want to take a chance. And so at this point, he hid. He was brokenhearted that he had denied Jesus Christ. And at this point, he lost out. 
Uh, it's amazing, though, that later, uh, when Jesus, after the resurrection, found Peter and and uh, forgave him, that's a, that's an interesting story that I was going to talk about today, but uh, I wanted to go this direction instead. But Jesus, or Peter, and his his friends went fishing, and they said, uh, Peter said, I'm going to go out and go fishing. I got to get some relief here, and so out there in the boat that one morning. Uh, there was a man walking along the shore, and they looked up, and they said, it's Jesus. And they asked him if they'd caught any fish. And uh, they said, no, they hadn't caught any fish. All night long they had fished. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus said, put your net nets over at the side of the boat, the right side. And all of a sudden they had a deluge of fish. Well, Peter then recognized it was Jesus. And he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. I think he wanted to see Jesus before the other disciples did because he was so ashamed of what he had done and he was afraid that he would be embarrassed in front of the other disciples. He they got he got there and Jesus had breakfast um, cooking for them on a fire. He had some fish waiting for them. But the, the gist of the story was Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And three different times he says, do you love me? Lovest thou me? Peter, do you love me more than these, you love these others? And each time Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And we wonder why did Peter have to say that three different times? Well, he denied Jesus three different times. And he had to know because of what he was going to face in the future that he too was going to be crucified. He had to know that he really belonged to Jesus Christ now, was forgiven of his sins, and was cleansed, body, soul, and spirit. Well, anyhow, praise God, no matter what Peter had done, Jesus was willing to forgive. And that's something that tells me that no matter what you've done, maybe sometimes people say, well, God can't forgive me. God can forgive you because uh, Satan cannot put anything in your life so deep, but what the blood of Jesus Christ can go deeper and bring it back out, and, and you can find forgiveness. Well, it might be a surprise to you, but the biggest gambler was Jesus himself, because he gave up everything with no guarantee anyone would respond. He left heaven, he took on the form of man, came down to earth, lived among us. In John 3.16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The only convert that Jesus knew for certain would be that would be in paradise was the thief who accepted his invitation. He suffered, Jesus suffered, bled, and died, not knowing if anybody would pay attention because we were created as free moral agents with the power of choice. And Jesus would not force us. He had no guarantee that we would respond. Jesus died on that old rugged cross because he loved you and me when we were unlovely. We were lost and on our way to hell, but he had to come to offer us a chance to be forgiven of our sins, to become joint heirs with him in his kingdom, to go to heaven with him and live eternally Jesus Christ risked it all because he loves us so much. That means that Jesus loves you. Will you let that love go unnoticed? Are you like those callous soldiers gambling at the foot of the cross while the most important event in history was taking place? 
Maybe you're one of those people who know that you need Jesus, but you want to wait for a more convenient time to accept him. You are gambling your soul, my friend, hoping you don't die and go to hell before you get right with God. And let me tell you, it's not a joking matter. Hell is something terrible. It is uh, something that there is no relief. You'll be there for all eternity, forever and forever and forever. Are you gambling your soul, hoping that you can get things right before it's too late? You know, there's a saying that says, those who wait until the 11th hour to repent usually die at 1030. My question for you today is, will Jesus Christ have gambled in vain for your soul? Or will you accept what he has done and accept the gift of eternal life and sonship with Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I would pray in the name of Jesus that you will please uh, speak to our hearts. And Lord, there's people out there that need to confess their sins, repent of their sins, and find you as their personal Savior. I would ask Jesus that you'll move upon these people today and they will take the time to ask for your forgiveness and claim the gift of eternal life that you have promised to all of us. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. Help us, Lord, not to gamble, but to do the sure thing to accept you and love you as our personal Savior. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say today, I've been praying for you, and I'm going to continue praying that God will use this podcast to open lives up to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to get in contact with me, my email address is revwmwoods at gmail.com. My mailing address is box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, Arizona. 86029. I would love to know how you are getting along with Jesus Christ. If there's any way I can help you, I certainly will. God bless you. Talk to you next week.